Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Presented in collaboration with the Prototype Festival, Modulation is a groundbreaking exploration of opera and theater adapting to a new format. Modulation can be accessed on LA Opera's website at www.laopera.org until February 28, 2021 at 8.59 p.m. Audience members are in control as they navigate through a landscape of new musical pieces, each with its own visual component, exploring the strands that weave together our lives over this past tumultuous and revelatory year. With themes of isolation, identity, and fear, with the connection of breath, the experience brings together 13 of the most provocative and diverse voices in the contemporary music idiom. In this behind-the-curtain conversation, we are honored to welcome four of these extraordinary composers, all of whom are Los Angeles natives or based now in L.A. Composer Juhi Bansal welcomes Jojo Abbott, Yvette Janine Jackson, and Iris Carmina Escobar. Please note that this conversation delves into contemporary issues and includes adult language that may not be suitable for all listeners. I am so happy to see you all. I'm just so excited to get to chat more about your work after getting to see all of it as the finished project. So I thought just to start this conversation, I thought it'd be a good idea for us all to just introduce ourselves. I'm Juhi Bansal. I wrote one of the pieces for the identity theme of this. Mine was inspired by the story of the Bangladesh Girls Surf Club, who I got to know about a few years ago. And they are this fascinating group of young girls who live in Cox Bazar in Bangladesh, in an area where, you know, they're in extreme poverty. Girls are not sent to school. Often these girls are married off at the age of like 11, 12. And through a series of events, um, basically these girls wound up surfing and it kind of turned into this multi-year project where these girls are now surfing and it's a pathway for them to get an education and it's a pathway for them to learn lifeguarding skills with the idea that hopefully at the end of this, um, many of them might continue on to work in other fields to be independent and not kind of be forced into the same pathways that often those in their situation are pushed into. Um, so my piece was kind of inspired by that. Jojo Abbott, would you mind telling us a little bit about who you are and what your piece for modulation was? My name is Jojo Abbott. I'm so excited. Thank you, Juhi, for holding this space. And thank you, LA Opera, for having all of us. I am an interdisciplinary artist coming into this project as a composer and a filmmaker. My piece, The Divine I Am, essentially is an echo of what mother, what creation, what life force essentially uh, expresses herself as or expressed herself as in the moment of the creation of the piece. The divine I am affirms herself. The divine I am is eternal creation, infinite creation, undefinable, uncontainable. And so she establishes herself as this force. It's a sonic and visual representation of that eternal, infinite, fluid, ever-evolving energy that we all tap into all the time. It really is a gorgeous work. I'm excited to chat more about it. Yvette, why don't I jump to you next? Would you just introduce yourself um, and tell us a little about your work? Uh, my name is Yvette Janine Jackson. I'm a composer and sound installation artist. My composition was under the modulation theme of Fear, and the title was Fear is Their Alibi, which was composed for soprano, bassoon, and uh, electronics, uh, with the text by Jarita Davis and animation by Zecharia Omagarbo. 
So thematically, Fear is Their Alibi is based on an experience um, that happened to Jarita, who's a poet who wrote the text, where she was at an open mic in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and a guy got up to the mic and was just telling everybody that, you know, he had just retired from training police officers how to use fear as their alibi when they accidentally killed an unarmed Black man, for example. And now that he was retiring, he was starting to offer this service to civilians so that if they ever were to find themselves in trouble for killing an unarmed person, they would learn how to use fear as their alibi. Oh my goodness. That is that is challenging. That is difficult. I think the work you produced from it, though, was really powerful. Um, I hope lots of people get the chance to see it. Carmina, I'll jump to you next. You had kind of an unusual role compared to all the other composers in the project. Would you tell us a little about who you are and uh, what you did for modulation? Yeah, my name is Carmina Escobar. I am from Mexico City, currently based in LA. I'm a vocalist, improviser, sound artist, and interdisciplinary performer. And the piece that I created is called Breath, aka Astral Gold. And it's the sound atmosphere that interconnects all of the spaces. And what I was doing is through breath and voice, which voice is breath, is utilizing the, the idea of air as a, an elemental cosmogony in which our breath is both life and danger. And this series of voice breath soundscape seeks to find the flux of emotion, poetry, and the forcing the perpet perpetual interchange of inhales and exhales that constituted our existence. So I was trying to just find like these, create the, the spaces that connected the, the realm. I think it's really fascinating actually. So Carmina, because your role was so different, you were kind of creating this, I suppose, sort of a sound world that everybody else's pieces were living in. Um, I'm really actually interested to ask you more in detail about that. So one of the things that I thought was really fascinating was that modulation had been talked about as a kind of a response to 2020. When we were first asked to do this project, they talked about it being very timely and it being a response to sort of everything that had happened in that past year. Is that, I, I think yours was the most immediately timely because it was pinned in so directly to a certain event. Could you talk a little bit about kind of how 2020 and how those events impacted what you chose to write? Well, I think to some extent, I mean, I, I, when given the opportunity to, to choose which of the themes, fear stood out to me because I had been working with this theme at least for the past like almost 10 years now. I actually kind of surrendered this, this topic to Dorita Davis who wrote the text because usually I aggregate text from things that people have actually said, like sound bites from the news, anywhere from, you know, like internet trolls, things like that. And so I wanted to see what happened if I just kind of had an initial conversation with Dorita and just like surrendered this theme to her and see what would come back. And I can't remember if I explicitly emphasized the fact that I, I like to work with events that have actually happened to work with my compositions. But yeah, she came back with this just very powerful, difficult text that was based on her experience, but I think it, it speaks to an experience that a lot of people undergo, just like walking down the streets or, you know, thinking about fear as a, as a weapon. And I think, I know in my experience, I've been conditioned in certain situations to change my posture and make myself like be non-threatening to people. So I reduce the chances of them doing something ignorant that might end my life. You said that word difficult. I mean, I think that's so timely to your piece. It wrestles with so many things that I think are just 
I need a better word than difficult, but really intense and serious and weighty. And as uh, I can't wait to ask you more about actually all, how all those parts came together into the music and the visuals as well. Jojo Abbott, if I jump to you, uh, your piece in a sense seemed more timeless to me, at least to my knowledge, it wasn't pinned to a particular event. So could you talk a little bit about kind of how your work tied into 2020 and everything you were experiencing? 2020, if anything, showed us that we are not in control. But at the same time, we are very much in control. And I think that those two messages coming in at the same time caused a great deal of confusion. Because here you were understanding that your vote, your voice, your, your showing up had power, your perspective, your, your being had power. And at the same time, you were undergoing all of these forces coming from the outside that had absolutely very little to do with you directly. And so, you know, when I think about that space, I often go back to the idea of where we're coming from and why we're here to begin with. And that circles back to creation. Why does all of this exist to begin with? Why are we going through this turmoil or this time of evolution or this time of enlightenment? Why are we going through this great rebirth? And so it really just evolved into this consistent, constant inquiry that I believe as breathing, living beings, we always go back to because it's embedded in our spirit being which is who, what, where, why are we? Um, and how can we occupy time and space with greater purpose, right? And so feeling powerless and powerful at the same time allows us to understand our connection to the greater whole and the idea that our consciousness, our well-being is essential to the well-being of the whole. And that before you rush to talk about someone else or try to judge someone else or assume to know about someone else's experience, perhaps it's a good opportunity for you to shut the fuck up and sit at home and think about your own life. It, it was just a humbling period of returning to source, understanding that the mountains are bigger than you, that the oceans are bigger than you. Uh, but at the same time, you can exist in harmony and tap into the forces that these things bring and these elements bring. That life is all around you. Life is within us. And the goal is to amplify that life, which is love, which is God. 2020 is is not a time that has never been felt before. It didn't provoke energies and feelings that have never been felt by humanity before. And it's an opportunity for us to circle back to the questions that we left behind because we got too comfortable. That's really beautiful. That's so beautiful. Carmina, let me ask you, so you had kind of similar to Jojo Abbott, I think a kind of timelessness about the, the, what, the work that you did for this project. Did the year 2020 or the experiences of it in any way kind of affect what you chose to do? Oh my God, absolutely. It's, I mean, the whole project is a, a response to what happened in 2020. And uh, yes, of course, it's like, I just been talking about it with a lot of friends. Like this is a big meditation, but at the same time, a really a moment of take action to transform reality. And in a way, the challenge for that is specifically in this piece, the fact that you are not together in the same acoustic space. Well, instead of, of succumbing to the limitation is then how do you create a space in this non-space? So part of like, that was my job into creating this sound, because sound is all around us. So how can that affect the, the visual aspect? And then 
utilizing and, and, and the thing that I was invited for is because mainly my, my work has to do with the voice, with the voice, not only as this aesthetic element, but also like fundamentally this voice that is relational, it connects you to the space, into reality. And especially when the voice, the, the basics of voice is breath, which at this moment is this, is what keeps us alive, but also that keeps us separated. It becomes like this weapon. So it's how, how do you respond to that? And create us in creative spaces. Um, and it was a, a collaboration, uh, a very good collaboration with with the prototype team to just discuss these ideas, and then also a reaction to to the space that they were creating visually with this all this all of these works um, resided. And I'm just want to say that I'm really grateful to be here today with you two guys. So your work is incredible. So I I feel really lucky. Likewise, absolutely. I think what you said, Carmina, about this kind of idea of taking advantage of, I suppose, some of the opportunities that were hidden within 2020 was something that I also found interesting. Um, I think many of you tend to work with visual media, media more so than I do. And it was kind of an interesting opportunity, as you said, because suddenly we were forced into this digital realm and that just had to be how we worked. Um, in some ways, it was an exciting opportunity to explore more of that than I think, you know, at least some of us often get to do. I have a question for you. So I was reading and listening to some of your radio operas, and I thought that was just such a cool idea. I know it's been around for a while, but I don't see too many composers these days working in that. And I was curious about sort of this idea that when we walk into, when people walk into a traditional opera space, right, there's some expectations of what the entryway will look like. You know, there's kind of a feel to the architecture. You walk in, you know what the stage will look like roughly. There's some sense that there'll be curtains and there'll be wings and the audience is going to be here and you might hear the orchestra or the instruments warming up a little bit. So there's this kind of before anything even begins, there's a context built around the work. And I was really curious, both with your radio operas and with the work that you did with modulation, um, do you want there to be some kind of context around the piece or how do you tackle that that doesn't exist in that kind of work that you're doing? Well, I mean, I think this piece was interesting because I, you know, I did work with an animator, but for the radio operas that I compose, my ideal setting is, you know, complete darkness and specifically like a concert space as dark as legally possible, you know, except for the exit signs, which have to be there by law. And I, I think this is important to me and the way I'm working with sound because I'm really interested in kind of eliciting images in the listener's mind, not specific images because that's really dependent upon, you know, the listener, their identity, their experiences, their, you know, whatever pre-existing knowledge. And so I like to, when you were talking about, you know, like entering a space and, you know, with curtains and everything. I thought about this. Usually, you know, in my pieces, there is some type of kind of sonic preamble or introduction mini overture or something. And I think that maybe is taking the, the place of kind of stepping into this venue. It's like telling the listener, what is this world that I'm walking into? And then, you know, who knows where it goes from there. Uh, I'm really interested in just like the listener participating and creating that spectacle. I love what you said about the kind of listening in blackness, listening without kind of anything else visually. I, I'm just curious as a follow-up, did that inform in any way what you did with the visual with your animator? I think absolutely. I mean, and the, the other element to the listening in darkness, like I said, part of what's important to me about listening in a concert space or a theater is that people are listening together in this space. And so, you know, to go back to guys 
the kind of the 2020 and so far 2021 question, we're still like listening in these separate places. I mean, we're connected, you know, via the internet, but which I guess is similar to being connected in the radio. But I mean, I I was really torn because when I was first asked about video, I thought about just a black screen. And um, I'm like, they're not gonna go for that. <laughs> and I don't really feel. So Zachariah, who did the animation, I knew him from Banff. He had pr like premiered, he plays trombone. He had premiered a piece that I composed uh, in the summer of 2019. And, and I knew he was an animator. He studied at CalArts and I wanted to see what he would bring to it because he already knows my music. I mean, he didn't know the piece that was unwritten, but he knows what I'm investigating through my music. And so I thought it would be interesting to work with someone, like everyone that I assembled, we had some type of working relationship, but just to see if I hand them these various parts, what we come back with together as a whole. It was really powerful. I actually, I remember having a conversation with somebody who had just watched modulation and they remembered particularly your visual. I, I think it really made a strong impact actually. And it was fascinating to me because it was so abstract, but I think it just had this kind of real visceral punch to it because maybe because of what it was um, and because of that kind of abstract sense. Jojo Abbott, I think you and I have talked about this a little bit before in another conversation, but I just wanted to follow up. What was it that led you to the theme of identity rather than to fear or to isolation? Well, I, you know, I think when we spoke about this, by the way, I just want to say, Yvette, every time you smile, I just feel so happy. I don't know why, but you smile and I'm just like, I just light up. That made my day. Thank you very much. I'm just like, she smiles, I smile. Just like that. You know, I love it. And I just love watching your mind work. It's like you're tinkering with things in your, in your little lab and you're just like going at it in your lab coat. I love it. Anyway, I would pay to watch it. <laughs> okay, I'm done fangirling. But um, with me, I, I feel like everything is, is everything and everything is nothing. You know, language only aims to separate things, to define them in relation to another thing. And I think what is, is, and it doesn't need to be defined necessarily. And so even within that space of picking a theme, I, you know, I honestly feel like going back to what Yvette said, I would have been the person who offered a black screen and <laughs> just the sound because that is the experience. If that's the experience, then I think, you know, just going for it is really important. And so with, with my piece, I think I just really was in a space of what echoes the totality of our being. And we are not necessarily linear beings, right, at all, as we found. And we have the capacity to feel joy and fear and peace and terror and confusion all at the same time. And it's not necessarily about picking one versus the other all the time. It's about having the capacity to have space and room to hold all of it with grace and compassion, right? And love. And so in this piece, it was identity, fear, all of the themes you can think about that could have possibly been come up, you know, invented and created for this, this project coming into the human experience and the truth of that. And so there is, um, there, there's so many elements moving at the same time. I work intrinsically, I work with intuition. Um, and so really just trusting that it would, as far as, as long as I was present and my collaborators were present in the truth of their existence and the truth of their being, uh, that would echo 
uh, in a resounding and hopefully pure um, way, whatever the fuck pure means, but you know. <laughs> I love that. I, I really love that. Um, Carmina, let me go to you next. So I thought, I mean, your work itself is really fascinating. I've never come across anybody, maybe, a, you know, I just have limited experience, but I've never come across anybody before who's working so deliberately with making music out of breath. And I was really curious, kind of, what's your journey been like artistically to evolve to a place where this is kind of such a huge portion of what you do with your work? Uh, I mean, I've, I've been working with the voice for around 20 something years. <laughs> I started doing uh, ex- experimental improvisation when I was very young. And then I, I, I landed on uh, on the classical musical realm, which I never identified with because uh, the search for the one position and we're multiples. So in this exploration of what my voice is and what does it mean beyond, beyond because voice is not the carrier of language, it's, it's the carrier of language, but it's not language. It's an, an object of aesthetic pleasure through music, but it's not that. So what is really, really the voice beyond, like we always, we're always talking about the voice as this like sort of ontological thing of who you are, like the voice of the artist, the voice of the beast, the voice of the space. So I, 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 I've been delving a lot into, into the exercise of what, what is and, and what um, these multiplicities that can live within you. So I started to do research on how to expand my vocalities, like these so-called extended techniques, which is more like the exploration of the actual brain of the voice. And then going into a, um, a more of a, um, an exploration then into like, so what does this beyond, beyond the, the physicality of it, what does it, what, what does it mean? And, and and I found like, to me, because I've been doing this for so long, it's the way that you relate and you find these these connections, not only to the space, to the, to the acoustic, which is also the, the thing that was like so hard for last year, especially if you're a performer, because I do a lot of, of performance, is just share acoustic space and, and the missing of that. So instead of also like trying to look at this space as a, a conflict, it's like, how do we develop resources because that's our job at the end of the day as artists we're like not we're not first responders in that sense but we are responding to that and sort of trying to figure out the ways that we connect so how does this voice and this multiplicity of voices connect connect in the space so i've done a lot of philosophizing and exploring like conceptually and 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 spiritually what does the voice really really means and then exploring it also and part of it is also exploring the capacities of it to connect to each other It's beautiful. You know, it's interesting, Carmina, you just said something early on in what you just said about kind of not necessarily identifying directly with classical music or strictly with classical music. And I just think that was one of the things that was so interesting about the modulation project as a whole, just the amount of stylistic diversity there was across all of the pieces. I'm just curious, Jojo Abbott and Yvette, do you, both of you, do you individually feel like you kind of identify very firmly with the mainstream, I suppose, of what classical music is, or do you kind of draw on a whole lot of other influences as well? Jojo Abbott, do you want to field it first? Through modulation and uh, my collaborator, Esperanza Spalding, I started playing the double bass. So the first time I pick it up, I start playing it and I realize I'm playing this thing like a drum while plucking at the same time. (laughs) Whoa, okay, that's interesting, right? So Coming into the classical space, I understand that there is nothing about me that plays into, especially the European or white 
aestheticized, um, privileged world that has um, sort of held this practice, right? Um, and how far out of reach it appears to be in many ways. I think coming into it, I understood that I didn't want to play into any of those existing, pre-existing fuck shits. But I wanted to occupy that space with it. I, I feel like I feel like being true to who you are will save you a lot of time. You know, take a moment, think about who you are and go in full force with who you are. And so, it, it, you know, I think about the music that I grew up with, my traditional music, the, the, the language of my people, even them speaking as an Ewa woman from Ghana is such ancient, ancient frequencies and sonic resonance that that is opera. You know, polyrhythm comes from my people. We understand polyrhythm in ways you would never comprehend. You know, so it's, there's something about really trusting what unique recipe and alchemy you bring into any pre-existing space and understanding that those spaces have to evolve because humanity is evolving. And so if I can come in and truly just give myself permission to be myself and to displace things and to create uh, beauty through chaos um, and to provoke and to, you know, shake things up in order for things to find new spaces of being, then, you know, that, that's also good, you know? Uh, and that's what I was really going for, the truth of my being, which is constantly asking question after question after question after question, and really just causing everything to go from everything to nothing, everything to nothing, everything to nothing, constantly refining that space of harmony. And so, yeah, I don't believe that anything should be rigid. Um, and the more we all occupy the world with our truths and honor our lineage and our bloodline and you know, the truth of our experiences and the truth of our connection to one another and to earth and the cosmos and the universe as a whole, the, you know, the more we continue to, you know, spice things up and continue to shift towards a greater evolution. Again, whatever the fuck that means, because this is all language. <laughs> I'm always offering a disclaimer because I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Well, I love what you said about kind of transforming the world, you know, not worrying about the label, just do what you are doing and what feels authentic really unapologetically and kind of hopefully the field itself will evolve through us doing that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. I mean, there's a science to it. There's a skill to it in a very conventional sense. And I think I would not take away from people who can write music and who've gone to school for this. I think it's brilliant, brilliant art, but to expand it and to make it infinite is what I'm excited about. Yvette, how about you? One, one important word that you brought up was occupy. And I think that, yeah, occupying this space, I think is very important right now for all of us in this conversation. I mean, and for other people too, but like we're having this conversation together. But um, yeah, so thinking about occupying the space when I, you know, was invited and I wasn't sure, like, do they know what my work sounds like? Like, what what are they asking me? Like, I don't know, somehow thinking about you know, I use, I use the term opera in my work, but when thinking about, you know, being invited to be part of this project, like what is expected of me? And then like, does it even matter? Because I, th I mean, I think I've spent the past, at least in my musical explorations, at least 30 years trying to refine what it is that I ended up calling radio opera. I mean, there are some European influences, but there are a lot of 
Yvette Jackson lived influences. And so I think there's things in my score that you might not find in, a, in another composer score. For example, in the soprano part, it says, you know, mournfully like a mother with a black son. Like, I don't think, you know, that, I mean, I think that that is something that I can put onto the page and ask someone to do. And specifically, I like to compose, you know, kind of in an, an Ellingtonian style, where I compose for specific people and not instruments. So Malisha Jesse Taylor, I, you know, I know what she can do and I know what I'm asking if I put it on page or if I tell her verbally, or if I try to sing it, I don't sing, but like, <laughs> but, um, you know, if I, if, I, if, if I try to demonstrate in some type of way for her or f for anyone that I'm working with, it's speaking of like, kind of, I guess, like the inefficiency of language, it's what can, what can I, how can I express whatever through the music, through, you know, emotions, through held notes, through, crying or whatever sounds. I thought it was really fascinating what you said about writing for individual players or performers, not really just for the instruments, because I remember listening and watching your, your video and your writing for bassoon actually just blew me away. I'd never heard anything like that. And I thought it was such a just unique and beautiful and powerful counterpoint to the voice. Can I ask what led you towards that direction? It's just so unusual. I would just like to say that Clifton Joey Guidry III is a badass bassoon player. And if you did not love bassoon yesterday, go listen to him today and you will love bassoon. He is, he's occupying space with bassoon. And like Joey is really about accepting himself and positivity. And I wanted that energy as a part of my piece. So really when I'm, when I'm composing for an ensemble, I'm just, I'm bringing in the energy, like all of these energies that I think maybe an alchemist of energies or something like um, bringing all these like, yeah, vibes together and not knowing what will happen and being okay if things are not perfect. I mean, talking about European influences, this idea of perfection is not something that I care about. Um, <laughs> I mean, part of that is actually, this may sound like a tangent, but it carries through to all the music that I do. When I was in college, I used to waste, not waste, I used to spend a lot of time in the music library, not doing my work, but watching this Roots Rock reggae documentary. And there's a scene in there where Scratch Perry is in the booth and the narrator's like, you know, the, the bass may be distorted and things, you know, out of uh, you know, proportion to one another, but that's what makes it reggae, you know? And so for me, I like to have rough edges. I like to work in a way where you know, if I make a mistake, I don't go back and undo it. That is a part of the piece. And just like to embrace the rough edges. Well, that's amazing. I mean, you know, we're talking about kind of life and how that feeds into music. Life is so many rough edges. Just seems important to keep in a lot of ways. I really, I really admire that. Uh, Jojo Abbott. So I suppose kind of building in a sense on the same thing. So your project is almost entirely you, if I remember right. I think it said that you did the video, you were obviously singing on the track, you did costume, you did choreography, everything. Could you talk a little bit about what your process looks like? I mean, what was it like to go from the initial idea for the piece to this finished video that we all saw? Well, I think I realized very early on in my work that if I outsourced a lot of it, it would cost a lot more to create. And so, you know, with time, I... <laughs> As much, I really enjoy all of these mediums, but really learning the skill that was required to actually make a costume 
or to edit film, you know, it, with the piece, especially a lot of the frames were about one second long and some even shorter than a second. And so seeing these tiny, tiny bits, you know, at some point it was all just math. It was all just numbers, you know, reframing things and the rates at which things went. And so even with music, when I'm editing music, when I'm mixing and mastering, it becomes about numbers. All I see is numbers and it becomes alchemy in that sense. And so I love being hands-on with my, my work, one, because it would be too expensive to outsource, but, you know, <laughs> and I can, I can eat a lot of the cost. I can really put into it the, the medicine that only I can put into it, right? Based on the, create, the force and the source of creation that's flowing through me. And so um, with this project, it just really was what, again, back to truth. What is the truth of this moment? Um, what, what gifts have I been given that I can bring to this offering? And how can I offer excellence versus perfection? And I think this conversation is circling back to dismantling this idea of perfection because I love doing that. Um, you know, how, how can I bring in the multiple facets and the multiple beings and the multiple spirits essentially that flow through me into this work and make sure that I offer each one a level of excellence that each is deserving of, you know, that is me, um, honoring, honoring life, honoring creation, showing up with, with, with joy towards this process. Even when I'm frustrated AF is, you know, um, is part of the ceremony and the ritual of my creative process. Um, so it's really just listening. It's honoring. It's, um, trying not to complain about the repetitive processes, um, trying not to be sour about the parts I don't necessarily enjoy doing, like color grading, um, and just offering gratitude to the process and working with all of the entities, all of the beings in and outside of me to create something that speaks to the heart of, of, of the universe um, as a whole. And that's really what it is. And, and so, again, it is me and it's all of us. The work in its its state of dissonance, its state of uh, displacement, its state of non-being can allow others to simply be without extreme judgment of themselves. Well, I think your music, your video, everything is uh, one of the things I love about it, that it is that it's all unapologetically you. It's clear that your voice is in every single part of it. And I think that's what part of what makes it just so powerful. I love that. Thank you. And Esperanza Spalding, I mean, she's a legend. So having her on there is amazing. And then getting a baseline from her that I could barely hear anything. There's so much noise, but we're like, you know, it's, it's COVID times. We're just going to work with what we have. It just was so organic. And I'm so grateful that it, it all just came together. So thank you, Judy. Carmina, let me ask you now, just kind of as we're, I suppose, wrapping up this conversation a little bit. Could you tell me a little bit about any projects you're working on right now that you're really excited about? What's next for you? Uh, there's a few things. I am starting a, a production company for uh, Happy Sustainability with a couple of friends of mine that is called Bosswitch, and we're gonna do um, we're gonna do three main projects this year. Uh, one of them is a trilogy album with uh, performance artist Ron Athey of uh, LPs that is called Box Clamantis. Another project is by Madeline Falcon uh, in development. And another big one is with uh, in, in co-production with Red Cat, Bajo la Sombra del Sol, 
under the sun shadow, which is, it's funny because we're talking about opera and we're talking about models and we're like, just, I'm just finding so interesting the threats of like trying to avoid uh, this sense of professionalization or specialization, which are like part of a cosmogony that is not really working anymore. So sorry that came to mind because uh, so this piece is going to be performed at, at monolake uh this is the background <laughs> and it's a piece in collaboration with uh, an incredible mexican artist called jeronimo naranjo uh we're going to build this massive sun drum with strings and it's a whole um it's a piece that follows the the uh, the sun it's about creating a new mythology a new mythology just to re-understand our relationship to nature. So that's going to be on September, uh, a live performance, and then uh, a film version at Red Cat sometime in November. Oh, that's phenomenal. That sounds so exciting. No, sorry, just like I feel like so enticed in my brain right now with everything that everybody's saying. Like, I feel we could talk for hours about (laughs) all of this. Sorry. After COVID, we'll go get a beer or a drink and continue this conversation, not from all these different places. Yvette, how about you? What's next on the horizon? Um, I'm juggling three things right now. I'm, I'm finishing up a commission as an Earth Day piece that uh, I'm working in collaboration with a science historian, Naomi Oreskes. And then I am juggling in my mind, have all the components together. In 2020, one thing that didn't happen or got postponed was um, the debut of a new ensemble that I'm creating called the Radio Opera Workshop. Um, so usually when I work with an ensemble, it's all studio and then I stretch and twist and do all the stuff later to create the radio operas. But this new ensemble is a way to kind of present these radio operas in real time live with the real ensemble. So I have a project with with the members that will be released or debut in April. And so it's a badass ensemble, got Esperanza Spalding since Jojo Abbott mentioned her on bass, Tio Fuller on sax, um, Rajna Swaminathan on Rudangam, Taiga Ultan on flutes, and then I'm doing uh, Judith Hammond on cello, and then I'm doing uh, the electronics for that. So I'm super, super, super excited about that. And then um, also working with um, Joey Gidry again. This time it's a piece for tap dance in Basund. So Ayodele Cassell is the tap dancer for that. Who's also, she's gonna be in a post-it stamp. So, hey, (laughs) that's awesome. These are amazing. Please let me know where all of these are happening. I wanna come check out all of this. It sounds incredible. I'm totally stressed out now, but I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) And Jojo Abbott, how about you? What's next? I actually just got an offer yesterday to do uh, my first solo show in LA. Um, I'm doing an exhibition with Shoot the Lobster, which is pretty cool. So that's happening. People can see work beyond the sound and the visual. Um, Getting back to my clothing and design stuff. So creating cosmic gear, um, energetically charged garments for people to plug into. And then raising funds for uh, my film, which I've been working on for the last year, which is a super ambitious project. And so anyone who wants to bless the gal, holla at me. And then mostly just open to opportunities to collaborate and continue to heal the world and provoke people to get this shit right. I don't know if we've ever gotten it right, but it doesn't seem like there's any better time to try, no? I mean, you can only try, right? You can only try. And I think if we can all commit to trying in some way, 
just with love, a little bit of love, it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. So I believe in trying. I'm all here for it. By the way, thank you, Juhi. You've been a freaking rock star, by the way. I love you all. We still need to go. I I wish we could have this conversation in real life, but I'm thrilled we're getting to at least have it. Um, Really, You're all amazing, by the way. They're all badasses. Absolutely. All the stuff we're talking about, kind of about 2020, I sort of feel like one of the things that left me with was this weird kind of distillation about Jojo Abbott, you were kind of talking about this, just being completely unapologetic about what we want to do with our work. And I think, you know, one of the projects I have coming up, I'm so excited about is this, an album we're going to do as a fundraiser to raise money to help women out of human trafficking situations. And it's the kind of thing like, you know, read a lot about over previous years. And this year just kind of felt like it was a kick to stop thinking about things just with everything that's happened and just kind of go after whatever it is that you're really passionate about. And that's, I I don't know if there are a whole lot of silver linings in 2020, but that's one that I'm hoping to carry forwards a little bit, whatever comes next. I am so exceptionally grateful to have been on the project with all four of you and now to be able to talk to you and learn a little bit more about kind of what was behind the music and what's going to be going forwards. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Really just an honor and a privilege to get to know each of you. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thank you and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.